Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 28 to 36, and can be found on page 69 of the New Testament portion of your Pew Bible. Let us continue to listen for God's word to us this day. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down by sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one of any of the things that they had seen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, for our younger listeners and any of those out there who it find it helpful to have things to be listening for, I'll give you three. The first, why is Moses' face shining? The second, what does Jesus say to the disciples when they are on the mountain? And the third, how many times do I say the word Jesus? Well, when we lived in Pennsylvania, my husband Tim worked for a company that makes dimmer switches. Now that we live in Ohio, he works for a company that makes light bulbs. So we have lots of different kinds of lights in our house and all sorts of switches and buttons and contraptions to turn them on. Some of them just turn on at certain times of day. Some of them turn on when you walk into the room. In our bedroom, we have remotes on each side of the bed that control the light level of all the lamps in the room. It has happened on more than one occasion that early in the morning, when it seems that the whole house is sleeping, one of our children will wander in and press the top button of the remote, turning on all the lights to the height of brightness. Can you guess my reaction when this happens? It looks a little something like that. I'm never ready for it. It's too much. My eyes can't adjust quickly enough. It hurts, both because I was woken from a peaceful sleep and because my eyes hurt from all that light. I imagine that was a bit of what it was like for the Israelites when they saw Moses after he came back down the mountain. See, the Israelites had been misbehaving, not listening to Moses or to God. They forgot that God had been with them, leading them out of Egypt, guiding them in the wilderness, making a covenant to be their God, giving them commandments to follow and manna to eat. When they were growing impatient with Moses and with God, they decided to take all their gold and melt it into an image of a calf, their new God, to worship. 
when Moses came down the mountain from where he had been talking with God and found out what was going on, he put the kibosh on the whole thing and went back up the mountain to plead with God for his people. After a conversation, God decided to renew the covenant that he made with the Israelites, which is a part of the lesson that we heard this morning. That's a big moment. God is demonstrating grace and continued presence with the people who continue to turn their back on God. This moment is so significant that Moses, having seen God, is shining. There's a transference of glory, of holiness, that leaves its mark on Moses. Now, the understanding at that time was that no one who saw God lived to tell the tale. God in God's self was too much for a mere mortal to bear. So the Israelites were afraid when Moses came back shining and saying that he's seen the Lord. They must have questioned, if that's true, how is he still alive? It's all too much for them. And so Moses begins to wear a veil when he talks with them so that they're not so overcome by his radiance that they can't pay attention to his words. One wonders why they continue to fear after they see Moses is, is luminous, but yet still alive. Are they still afraid of their own physical death, or are they afraid of a change, a transformation that might happen because of God's interaction with them through Moses? Are they somehow embarrassed by God's continued love for them, even after they have messed up again? Is it that the grace that is being offered to them is too much for them to handle? Disciples Peter, John, and James go with Jesus up a mountain to pray. It's not uncommon for Jesus to remove himself from the masses in order to rest and pray, but this time it's a bit different for the disciples. They are heavy with sleep and yet aware that the appearance of Jesus' face changed and that his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they recognize Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah epitomize the law and the prophets, so their presence with Jesus is a visual embodiment of God's revelation to Israel over time. The history of God interacting with God's people right in front of them. These are important folks talking with Jesus, and they are speaking of Jesus' departure. We're not given all the details of this departure conversation. Is it about Jesus' death? Is it about his resurrection? There's a lot of foreshadowing going on here about this journey that Jesus will take from this point on. And this journey is now even more blatantly connected to the journey of God's prophets and leaders before him. The disciples have been woken from their grogginess to this dazzling light, an incredible scene. They realize something monumental is happening, and so they try to figure out a way to keep it going. In their minds, this is clearly a holy place and should be marked as such. And so they offer to create dwellings for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. As they suggest that, however, things begin to change. For starters, they're overshadowed along with Jesus 
by a cloud. Now just imagine for a moment that you have offered Jesus something that you think is a brilliant idea and one that is hospitable and insightful and Jesus says nothing, doesn't agree, doesn't tell you to get to work, doesn't even go on a tirade about how you are wrong. Jesus is just silent. The only time in all of the Gospels where someone says something to Jesus and he remains silent. But it turns out he doesn't have to talk because the voice of God speaks instead. While this scene is similar in some ways to the one we just read about Moses, what with a glowing and all, the difference is that it's not just Jesus' face that's glowing, it's his clothes to his whole self is full of radiance. And while this scene is similar to the story of Jesus' baptism, where a voice also speaks about Jesus, the difference is that this voice, God's voice, is speaking directly to the disciples. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. This is an intense experience for Peter and John and James. It is clear that Jesus is God's chosen one. And not only that, but they are commanded to listen to him. God speaks directly to them, not something that has happened before. And the disciples get quiet. It's understandable. This incredible and unbelievable and startling thing has just happened And I can imagine that they're in shock and just trying to figure out what on earth is going on. I can also imagine that since they are finding it so hard to believe that this is happening, they might also be concerned that no one else would believe them if they shared the story later. I imagine this is the moment that it hits them that this transfiguration is a moment of preparation for what is coming next a dividing line between what has been and what will be. The disciples will never be the same, and neither will Jesus. This moment has changed the course of how they will live their lives. And we know Jesus well enough to know he didn't stay up on that mountain, and he sure didn't let the disciples stay there either. There were people to love, people to heal, a message to spread, other disciples to teach. After this time of rest and prayer and transfiguration, there is work to do. Transfiguration Sunday, the Sunday that we celebrate today, is the moment in our liturgical lives where, as theologian Laurel Matheson has written, we find a hinge between Epiphany and Lent. Moses and Jesus ask us to reflect on the nature of the dazzling divine glory that illuminates them. In Epiphany, we contemplate the ways that Jesus manifests God's light to the ends of an earth blanketed in darkness. This week's stories might be seen as a culmination of this theme of God made manifest, of holy light on the move. And friends, we're about to move right into Lent. And if Lent says anything, it's that Jesus keeps moving off the mountain toward the reality that is waiting for him. He doesn't flee from difficult conversations, challenging moments, betrayal, intense suffering, or even death. He walks right into the midst of them. 
It's natural to recoil when a bright light is switched on in a dark room, but the only way our eyes get used to the light is to look at it and deal with it, to let our eyes adjust by letting the light inform us, wake us up, change us, and illuminate the world. Our United Methodist siblings have had quite a week. The conversations they are in the midst of having about LGBTQ people being ordained as ministers and about United Methodist pastors marrying same-gender couples is not a new conversation to the denomination or to Christianity or religion in general. There are faithful, wonderful people on all sides of the conversation, and now there is an even brighter spotlight shining on them. The media, the attention of the world, and people who don't fully understand how Methodist polity or theology works. Presbyterians are certainly not strangers to this conversation. We too have been through dialogue and fighting and divisive votes and press coverage. It's important for us to know where Presbyterians are in this conversation. Our denomination has come to embrace LGBTQ people as children of God, and that when they are called by God to ministry, they are ordained as deacons, elders, and ministers of word and sacrament. And we have also taken a theological stand in saying that love between GLBTQ couples is blessed by God and therefore appropriate to have those unions officiated by a Presbyterian minister in a Presbyterian church. That's where we are in our transfiguration as a denomination. But it doesn't mean that the transformation is complete. In our denomination, we also have faithful, wonderful people on all sides of the conversation. And we're not done talking. In the harsh glare of media spotlight, it can be difficult to see that the greater light is the one coming from Jesus, the one who continues to call us into relationship with one another, the one who calls us into dialogue with one another, the one who continues to call us into transformation in our thoughts, words, and deeds, the one who shines so bright with God's love and grace that we can't hide in darkness. There is work to be done to ensure welcome, hospitality, and love are offered to all people, regardless of the many ways we categorize each other. Can I get an amen? Amen. So also happening this week, as a congregation, we are having our own coming down from the mountain kind of moment. If we really think of transfiguration as preparation for what is to come, then I can't help but believe we are ready for the moment we are in. It's not that Pastor Derek was glowing or was some reincarnation of Jesus or anything like that, but he was a significant leader in this congregation, and his leaving has caught many of us off guard. That being said, I believe we have been readied for this moment in ways we don't yet understand and can't yet comprehend. I have felt buoyed by the way in which I have experienced many of you pausing, giving thanks for Derek's leadership, and in the midst of saying goodbye and grieving his leaving, turning to one another and to staff with words of encouragement and support. 
I've heard you tell each other that you've been here before, you've learned a lot, and you're ready to think about how you might proceed in finding new pastoral leadership. I've heard you say to one another that you're not going anywhere, and there's work to be done, so let's get a move on. I have felt your prayers on behalf of staff and leadership of this congregation and so appreciated reminders that God is near. Friends, God is with us. And God is readying us for this next moment in our personal lives and in our lives together. May God continue to offer us love and grace and may we find the courage to open our eyes to the light and to adjust to the new understanding that it brings. And may we listen. Alleluia. And amen.